Hello, and welcome to Marvellous Effort That, the all-inclusive podcast for the sporting all-rounder. Each week, we delve into the worlds of football, rugby and cricket, discussing the latest news and views whilst deciding on the greatest matches in sport's big three. I'm Omka Kot, and I'm joined by friend, badger and all-round local hero, Seb Probert Broster. This is Marvellous Effort That, and we'll be with you in just a few moments. Well, Seb, they've uh, they've commissioned us for a second show. Oh, you can believe that. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> Apparently, some people actually have been requesting the answer to when we're actually going to have our second show. And uh, yeah, you wouldn't have thought but, that last week. Well, I certainly wouldn't have thought it from people who've ever listened to a podcast that is <laughs> a, a weekly event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you think the subscribe button would help with stuff like that. But, well, uh, you can't help them all, though, can you? But, well, it's, no. it's funny, isn't it, the demand in, in lockdown? Because I, I heard of someone in, in the Horsham Waitrose that was really angry that they'd run out of um, what's it, passion fruit. They'd run out of passion fruit. Oh, well, um, makes a change from quinoa, I guess. <laughs> well, I know the government talk about daily essentials, but um, you know, clearly people in Horsham have got their priority right at the moment. Uh, probably having a lot of porn star martinis, I guess. <laughs> You'd hope so. <laughs> but uh, but look, um, there is a bit of a caveat to our second episode. Um, and that is to say that management have been in touch with us. And um, there's a few areas that management would like us to clean up or clear up before um, we crack on with the sporting extravaganza that is. Marvellous effort, that. Um, first of all, there were some complaints from various channels that we were offering a lot of fake news um, in our pod last week. So, um, shame, shame. <laughs> and I think just to, just to kick off the, the first sort of bad bit of behavior was the fact that when you brought up a niche player such as Mido and asked me, who did he play for? My response was Swansea. Um, in fact, Swansea was pretty much the only team in the English league that he didn't play for. Um, and it turns out that I was thinking of Meet Chu, who did in fact play for Swansea. Oh, e- um, easy mistake to make. Same era, began with an M. <laughs> I yeah, I I don't think it's too bad. I mean, I think it's more shame on me because I brought it up and I didn't know. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I can't know everything. This is true. We've also had um, a small one in Luke Moore. I mentioned that Luke Moore oh. was playing for Leicester um, mm. against Watford. It turns out Luke Moore has never played for Leicester City before. So, um, again, you know, on behalf of Marvellous Effort, that um, I can only sincerely apologise. But I know there have been a few bits on the on the rugby side as well that um, oh that were a bit iffy. Am, am I right in saying? Um, you'll have to trigger my memory and, and bring up the email from from the management because uh, usually I'm right on the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't agree with you less. <laughs> now, moving on, Cot's quiz has generated some really interesting responses this week. And last week I set the question, who is the only Englishman to ever win the European Golden Boot? Who is the only Englishman to ever win the European Golden Boot? Now, for anyone that is confused, this award is awarded to the player who has scored the most goals in any of the top flight leagues across Europe. And only one Englishman has ever done it, which is you know, pretty hard to believe, to be fair. And we've had a number of 
and I specifically asked, like, now I've got a bit of a gripe here, Seb, because I specifically asked last week for answers to either be emailed to us at marvelouseffort at hotmail.com mm. or um, to be sent to our Instagram page at marvelouseffortpod. And I've received a number of correct answers, but via the incorrect channel. I, and, I, well, I have to send off, a, send away a carrier pigeon because yeah, it's too too bloody cold for them now. Yeah, it's difficult. They're all in um, kind of training mode, isn't it? In the indoor camps, they all fly yeah. to sort of India and South Africa for flying camps. I think in the winter. But uh, the the irony of the award is that I've received one correct answer. Uh, sorry, one incorrect answer, but it was on the correct channel. Um, so I've actually decided not to award anybody the prize this week because um, I feel that the instructions are very clear and a packet of non-branded jalapeno pretzels is a very special prize and I'm not going to be awarding them willy-nilly. So for that reason, I'd like to invite you to give us the correct answer um, to the only Englishman who's ever won the European Golden Boot. Well, I... Uh, the man, the legend, and I think anyone who who grew up around the same time as me in the uh, you know mid mid to late nineties, that was a you know the, the, where where the dreams came true. It was uh, it was only it was only Kevin Phillips, wasn't it? That is the correct answer, I, I believe. If I'm not if I'm not completely out of line here, because I think if I can get the right year, <laughs> I reckon I'm, I should be in for a shout for these um, non branded pretzels. <laughs> I, I believe it was the year. Was it um, the year two thousand? Well, I'm, I'm going to have to look this up. But I'm, you know, I'm. Oh, I think it was the year two thousand. I'm a bit oh. sceptical now. I'm oh, a bit sceptical because I, I can't be awarding you the prize. You know, we, we can't just set that as a precedent and allow. Oh. It's it's only because it's food and you're fat shaming me. This is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So nineteen ninety nine to two thousand. Kevin Phillips at what club? I'm going to say Sunderland. Correct. But uh, but there we are now. You're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> moving swiftly on, Seb. Um, I've obviously had a gripe there, but management have also asked. You've been complaining to them this week about a lot of things, and we've, <laughs> we've come up with this section of the show we'd, we're going to call the the pro bro problem, and it's it's a little section of the show for you to rant or to vent any any anger, any built up aggression or um, grievances that have happened in the sporting week that have gone. So, Seb, what have you got for us this evening? Well. This evening, I'll kick it off nice and light. For me, it is football journalism. It's my gripe. And um, what I'm really struggling with at the moment is, initially, this was going to be a rant about how the Premier League hates Tottenham because I'm a Tottenham fan. And um, I've moved away from that because, Mm. to my my horror, I read another ridiculous article by Phil McNulty, who's the chief football writer for the BBC Sport, if anyone doesn't know. And... uh, this was about how the wheels have fallen off Jurgen Klopp's bust. And I did, I did a bit of digging, and this is now the fifth article that he's written about a manager <laughs> whose league have gone on a good run of form and then lost a few games and are potentially out of the title race, even if you can call it a title race after <laughs> half a season. Um, and basically just saying the, the, the manager's not good enough, he's lost the dressing room. And you know, I, I suppose they, they had to be quiet because... Spurs finally won a game, so they couldn't say anything about them. But it, it just seems to me that either they're bored or they just they just don't have anything positive to write about. They have to sit there and cut people down, especially mm. 
Phil McNulty. I mean, he has spent, I'd say, every year since Fergie's retired complaining about any decent manager. Um, and some of the vitriol you read, um, certainly around Jose. I mean, Oliver Holt's another, he's another suspect of mine. He's in, he's in the sniper's range. Um, he, he, he tweeted infamously um, when Spurs lost to Anfield this season to a last-minute Firmino header. He tweeted football two, anti-football one, which is, which is all well and good if you look at a scoreline and you hate Tottenham and you want Liverpool to win. But Tottenham actually made more clear-cut chances than Liverpool did in that game. So if they'd actually put them away, I mean, obviously, there are lots of ips and buts here. Sure. But, I mean, would you be writing anti-football three, football one, if they put those chances away? Probably not. So to me, it just something's got to be done about this. But either, either they've got a lack of intelligence, they, they, they're getting too old, too long in the tooth. We just need a bit more positivity and actually talk about some of the good things that are happening in football rather than just complaining about the rare talents of people like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Chose, uh, obviously, Jurgen Klopp. These guys are good characters. There's no need to cut them down just because their team don't win every week. That's my gripe. Well, thanks very much for enlightening us with that, Seb. Um, and Anytime. Uh, yeah, I think it's time for some news. Right, so Seb, big, big week of sport just gone. But um, before we get into all of that, um, management have actually asked, uh, amongst other things, it's quite a long list, Kiri, from them this week, um, for us to give an update on Jokers. both the uh, both the drink situation and the weather reports as well, um, which I know has been keeping uh, lots of people excited to hear what's going on in terms of what's on the, uh, what's on the wine list and what's happening from the Met Office this week. So, uh, yeah, do you want to... Uh, what's... What's in your glass today? Well, um, it's Guinness again. Um, it's a Monday night, isn't it? So it's got to be a beer. And this is the choice of champions. Um, also, it's quite nice as we get into the results to rub it into the Irish to have a pint of their stuff after a glorious win. But um, I would have had a wine. But as, as you know, I'm partial to uh, partial to a cheeky chat over the floor. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, short short supply at the moment. Um, finished it at the weekend, so that'll have to wait until uh, Friday evening, I think. Very good. Well, how, I've, about, um, how about yourself? What are you What I, are you knocking out? Yeah, I've had a visit from the royal family, and um, we've oh. got uh, yeah, we've got a few of the the king of beers. Which oh. have, uh, yeah, my local guys had a really good offer for for the Budweiser, so yeah, managed to get down there the other day before for the blizzard, for the beasts from the east had uh, its way back and, uh, and we're all good. It has been, it's been, been pretty good on the old snow front though, hasn't it? Just moving us on to the weather. I mean, I'm, it is dark, but um, looking at the goldfish bowl, which is the spare room, I can see a healthy smattering. And uh, I've, I've been party to three snowball fights today. So, um, yeah, long may it continue. It's a shame we, we can't have a snow day. That's the only thing that's really a bit shit about all of this. But hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. And that's a lovely note with which to move on. Um, but as you alluded to there, Seb, big, uh, big result in Cardiff yesterday and um, opening weekend of the 2021 Six Nations. How, uh, how did you find it all? Oh, what a weekend. Well, first of all, 
it's, it was good to watch France again. Um, I know it's only been a couple of months, but they are just looking so special. Um, the, the perennial argument about whether Italy are good enough rears its ugly head again. Um, and the playoff and whether they, whether Georgia should be promoted and they should be relegated. Um, but really, I mean, France were just a delight to watch. Um, and any game that has 50 points in it, you know, it's going to be some free-flowing, good attacking yeah. rugby. Um, DuPont's picked up where he left off. He's playing, playing really well. Um, so yeah, no surprises there. I think they can, again, they'll be the, they'll be the team to watch. That was what I said. Um, I did erroneously edge England for the, for the slam. Um, I really thought they'd do it, but they, um, absolutely wet the bed. Um, mm. And this isn't this is this isn't anti-English bias. Before anyone gets upset about it, that uh, many people I know who are England rugby fans have said that's the worst performance they've seen in their lifetime by England, um, and it will be pretty close. I'd say they really were underwhelming. Um, just, I think one of those days, isn't it? You, they, they're missing four or five key players. Um, they're also playing a resurgent Scottish side, and we talk about this all the time. Every team has this hang-up about raising their game and wanting to beat England. And it just clicked for them. Um, because what they'll look at this week, going in, going into the game against Wales at home next weekend, what they'll look at is going, actually, they completely dominated that game and they only won by score. Um, whereas I think if it, this should have been on the other foot and England had dominated that game, as we know they can, it would have mm. been maybe, you know, they'd have put the game out of sight. Um, but still, great for Scottish rugby. It's good to see that they're still on the up. It's good to see that they, you know, they can perform like this on more than one occasion and over a, over, over a period of months rather than just the odd flash in the pan. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to wax too lyrical about it. It was great to watch that. Really, really exciting. Um, I mean, just just with that fixture, you know, part of me thinks that, and, and it's kind of a null point because we can't just say this, but otherwise we end up saying it about every single sporting event probably for the next six months at least, you know, would would that result happen if there was a you know a majority home crowd turning up to that game? Well let let me let me put it back to you on um the last game at Twickenham, I I don't know if you recall, was that um that glorious thirty eight all victory. Uh, sorry, the thirty eight all draw, which was the draw snatched from um from the jaws of uh, defeat by England in the last play of the game, um having been thirty one nil up. Um, <laughs> with a home crowd, so I, I know what you're saying. I'm being facetious. You know that was that was just a phenomenal game of rugby. But yeah, look, I've I've said it, and and I think we we alluded to. I'm not sure if I was chatting with you or someone else. Is um, in the Wales game, we, we'll move into that one now. But that last kick um, by Billy Burns, I I said to to you, it's that's all in his head because there's no crowd, there's no one there. But it's almost as if if the crowd's there, he's probably going to hit the kick because he's he, there's so much. It's a different type of pressure. Yeah, um, he's only in his own head. It's his own demon saying, "Oh right, I'm just going to give it the big one," and then he's he's just mishit it. Um, but look, Ireland will have some things that they'll complain about, and um, I think that if you go into uh, if you go into a test match and you play 65 minutes, a man down and dominate possession and territory like they did, they'll rightly feel aggrieved and they'll rightly feel like they should have got more out of that game. Sure. Having said that, they had 65 other minutes to go for it. And realistically, um, not just being 
a biased Welshman here. They dominated the the second quarter of the first half. That that sort of twenty twenty five minute um, period where they scored thirteen unanswered points and mm-hmm. Wales press self destruct. But after that, they actually didn't really threaten the line at all. You know, for all their possession and territory, and actually in the second half they really until Gareth Davis had a brain fart and forgot what the rules were with ten seconds <laughs> to go, um, and what a game plan is. You know, if if, if he run into touch or you know, he kept hold of the ball and then we kicked it out. No one would have been saying, oh, well, Ireland deserved to win that. They'd have gone, okay, yeah. Wales were winning. And yeah, they, Ireland got a penalty and, and closed the gap to five points. But they, they never really looked like winning until that last pass, passage of play where Wales completely panicked and went, oh my God, don't give away a penalty in case it kicked to the corner and rumble it over. That's pretty much what happened. But still, the positive for Wales is they've beaten Ireland, which is Pivak's first top-tier scalp Um since he's been coach. So that's that's good news. Um and hopefully next week they'll they'll back it up with another good performance because what you can say about them is that is definitely the hardest they've played for a long time. Probably probably since the World Cup. And they definitely all apart from the line out, everything that they've been criticized for, they seem to do well. Um so I won't hold my breath, but fingers crossed. Well, it's you know it's been a hard year, hasn't it? Yeah. I think the post the post Gatland year almost reminds me of you know whoever was taking the job on from Fergie um, at Old Trafford was going to experience the same thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's there's a lot. You know, the principle is definitely really similar between the two, and um, you know it could be the start of a really good good run for them. And I think you know with uh, with a certain tour coming up in summer, I think lots of people from the home nations are going to be looking to you know to really step up this year. Um, you know, in particular, but Definitely. let's see, let's see. And, and talking about stepping up, I don't think there's any words that can describe how the England Wales captain has been stepping up out in Chennai. Oh. Have you uh, have you managed to catch much of the test? Uh, I well, I've not been quite as keen as yourself. Um, <laughs> I'm too old for the four a.m. starts, um, but I've certainly been been catching up. I've watched watched a lot of what, what I can, and the weekend was great, just purely for that. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't want to dig in too hard here. But Joe Root with two hundred and fifty-eight runs from um, his first two <laughs> innings, and Ashwin with a nine for in his first test. I think. Um, I think I should have put some money on that on on the uh, <laughs> on, on on those predictions. But I, in, in fairness to him, um, the reason why I went with him is because he played so well out against Sri Lanka, and you've got to go with form players. Um, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying Virat's not going to do it because he's he's such a class act, but. Um, he obviously didn't play the whole series out in Australia, so he's not really coming in in form. Mm. Um, maybe I'm being unfair, but you know, it's all about time and how much time you spend out in the middle, isn't it? You know, you can be you can be under a lid in a net for a, for as many hours as you want. It's not the same as being out right in the middle there. Um, no, but what what a great start! What, what just it's it's so well set up now as a test match. You know, three. Um, three sessions tomorrow, nine wickets to get. Not an impossible chance for them to chase the runs. Not impossible. No. Um, I, I just think that this is why we love Test cricket. Day five, it's it's got everything: the buzz, the drama, but, the crowd. <laughs> I mean, it's day it's day five, but you know, there's still so many unanswered questions. There's still no guarantee, and we've we've seen the game, you know, session by session. England dominate for you know the best part of two and a half days, to then suddenly this afternoon. Um, goodness me, you know, we could actually be throwing this away. And I think 
you know, I've I've managed to watch well pretty much all of it. I've I've been mm. living the life of one of these. I feel like I'm in one of those sort of Russian sleep experiments. They used to do back <laughs> in and I've been doing the four AMs pretty much well for the entire game, and it's just been amazing to see Root, you know, in his hundredth Test match, so exemplary, leading by example. Mm. With with Dom Sibley, you know, who was under pressure, who dug in, and he really deserved a hundred on day one. Yeah, and then the way Stokes came out and played on the second day. And then the bowling unit, you know, they have gone for a few runs, but, you know, Bess and Leach, they are really finding their ways. Mm. Jimmy Anderson just keeping that pressure on. And um, have you actually, just a quick one, have you seen some of the, the messages that have been coming in for Joe Root from, from all the different yeah, sports? Yeah, it's been amazing to see that, hasn't it? It's, everyone's reached out because it's just, oh, it's class, isn't it? It's just, it's one of those things where you don't realise how many games he's played for his age. He's, he's that good that he's been around for that long. Um, mm. he's still a he's still, he's still a young man. How old is he? Is he thirty yet? Maybe he's, just he's he's just turned. 30. Yeah, there you go. So you know, it's for him to perform like that over over that period of time is fantastic. But you did bring up something that I, I wondered, and I, at the time I was fuming about it. I was watching um, Leach chucking down bungers and you know going for ten and over, thinking, "Hang on a minute, why are we giving them an easy forty runs here?" Um, yeah. And it's so easy to say that even when you've got 500 plus on the board, but you also have to look at, uh, as a captain, what was quite clever about it is Leach won't care. He'll know that, look, I've put, I've put that where I want to put it and he's just belted it out of the ground. And two, two or three occasions, he's only just cleared the fielder. Would you rather put your bowler in that position where he's almost got the wicket or do you bowl two overs that go for 23 and then haul him off and go, sorry, mate, no, and then not bowl him again until the next innings? But that would be so damaging to to his confidence for for that to be the case. So um, initially, I was a bit like, mm, not sure why he's kept him on. And then you actually you got to think a bit about the psyche, the heat, whether he's resting another bowler options. He's also a left armer, so it just gives it something different. I think I think Rishabh Pant is probably one of the most confident players on the planet right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. And I think he always will be. But it was strange to see that Leach was almost bowling to to get him caught at long off, mm. which you know you don't <laughs> you don't often hear about in in Test match cricket, certainly between England and India. No. Um, but you know he stuck to his guns. For me, he could have maybe varied his pace a little bit, varied his flight, and you know that would have probably brought that fielder into play. Mm. But it just shows you know Joe Root. Is, I think we've got to the point now where everyone's agreed that he has he has his tea. He he, he might not have his first 11 that's going to go out and beat India or Australia yet but he has command of that dressing room mm. and he backs his players and he's got the senior people around him that also back the players so you know we'll definitely see but um, you know with some of the messages I mean who can resist a, a night out in Middlesbrough with Neil Warner oh. I certainly don't like it <laughs> but um, you know before we delve into that too deeply um, there's you know been some interesting uh, interesting developments in the world of football as well this week and I suppose it would be rude not to start at Anfield. Well, I mean, look, it's it's always what happens before, isn't it? I mean, fantastic result for uh, for the Seagulls and absolutely chuffed. But obviously, we lulled Liverpool into a false sense of security at Hotspur Stadium by letting them score a couple of goals. You know, a cheeky little trip to Dr Tottenham. And then um, <laughs> that's it. Uh, you know, we then obviously gave, gave, gave the Albion a bit of medicine too. And they've gone and, gone and got a result out of it. And it's amazing because now, you know, whereas 
when when Brighton went to the Hotspur Stadium, they were three points above the relegation zone. It was really looking a bit squeaky, and we were thinking, right, this might be quite a tough fight. They're now eleven points clear, which is a you know certainly not complete safety, but it's definitely a, a cushion that you'd want. I think so, but you know, part of that is also due to the fact that the teams below, I think, are that are that bad at the moment that there's always that sort of you know glimmer of glimmer of hope, glimmer of hope yeah for the cup too. so <laughs> it's it's going to be an interesting finish there's so many games left at both ends and um yeah definitely one to watch out for but you know huge result yesterday i think you know for most people the title race is is pretty much that's over now not not sealed but you know yeah, the, the engraver the engraver certainly knows yeah what, he's he's know, he's, he's practicing how to spell play. manchester city <laughs> <laughs> stop putting united yeah <laughs> No, a bit of a demolition job, yeah. but um, yeah, an interesting week. But uh, and then finally, I think we're talking of the relegation zone. Did you um, did you manage to see that that red card that was overturned? I, I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it, and I've seen you know I've I've read a lot about it. But well, it's just it's just a complete lottery, isn't it? And we've spoken about it before. Um, and it's so it, it's really what's frustrating for me is I watch quite a lot of football now because I have the time to, and we're, we're stuck at home. And it, in my head. If you dive, say you're in the penalty area and it's not a pe- and the penalty is not given, then that's a dive. That's a yellow card. We know that. That's in the rules. You never see it happen. V- VAR mm. is there to stop the clangers. Like they're looking at that and going, and it's been overturned. Like how has that not been? I, I mean, I, maybe I'm, maybe I've got this completely wrong. I don't understand how they use the video refs across all the sports because in my head, if I were a, a video ref, I'd be watching constantly the whole game so that if there's a contentious moment I already know what my decision's probably going to be and then I'll look at a replay and go there it is and they just mm. consistently get it wrong like red cards now with all the cameras that they have at football stadia they, they just shouldn't be overturned there should never be a moment where they're overturned because if it's a red card it's a contentious moment which means VAR can be used as far as I know is that right or I might have that wrong they will always check. Yeah, so, it, so if they're checking, then VAR should get that right. That shouldn't be going to a panel and then going, oh, sorry, we got that one wrong. Because that's changed the result of a game. Because that's what happens with, with red cards. So you, you rarely ever see a game where there's a red card that doesn't massively affect it. Um, well, this particular decision was, I suppose, more controversial because it was given by Mike Dean, the referee, who watched the screen at the side of the pitch. It wasn't, it wasn't made at stock. So Socky Park recommended it was, it was turned over. Um, to the referee at the side, but uh, you know it, it's one of those things. It's going to take years, I think, clearly to get this uh, this system right. But you know, all we can do is hope it happens. Well, soon God, yeah, because at the moment it's you know it, it ruined last season and it's certainly starting to ruin this season as well. Um, well, anyway, at least they're not helping Liverpool this year. That's the main thing. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, look, Seb, good to round up the week's news and. Uh, Sticking with the football theme, it's time to move into our uh, greatest matches. And this week, we start with a very, very special occasion in Scandinavia. My father always told me football is a gift from God. And God gave you this gift, just as he gives a song to a musician or a singer. A 
Agora você tem que cuidar da sua saúde. So you have to take care of your health, how you prepare yourself. You always have to respect your opponent. Se você fizer isso, and if you do all that, then you'll be a great player, and no one will stop you. Those, of course, the words of one of football's, if not football's, most famous player. And it's fair to say that this week, for our entry at number nine in the greatest football matches of all time, is probably the series wildcard. And uh, Seb, what have we gone with here? Well, this one, it's really out there. And I think this is this. If you had to sum up why we decided to do this whole podcast, it's matches like this that people might not know. And then when you talk about it, some of the stuff that we unearthed, unbelievable. <laughs> so we, we are going for Bold. Brazil against Wales in the 1958 World Cup quarterfinal in Sweden. Now, I first brought this to your attention um, only because there's a bit of a family tie. Mm. Um, and my mum's cousin, Mel Hopkins, um, was playing left back on the day. Um, yeah. And this is the first tournament that Wales, the first World Cup tournament that Wales had ever qualified for. Um, so there was a bit of a family tie for me and I kind of looked into it. And this was the most famous one, most famous match for, for Wales in the tournament because not only did they make it through the group stages, which was completely against all odds, um, they then only narrowly lost to eventual champions and, and firm favourites, Brazil. Mm. Um and this is uh, just a, a great Wales team as well. There's, there's obviously a Spurs tie as well. I've got, I have to throw that in there because Mel did play for Spurs. He also then moved from Spurs to Brighton. So that's where the tie is for me as well. So that's why I like both of the clubs. Um, Spurs legend Cliff Jones playing up front as well. Um, but really the big one for me is the um, is the goal scorer. So... We obviously heard him speaking there and, and hopefully people will have worked out who it was, but it's obviously the great Pele. Mm. Um, and this was his first major tournament, 17 years old. He got the winner in this game. Um, and yeah, I, maybe, maybe I'm uh, embellishing this slightly, but um, they, they, the winger, uh, Garincha, was was also playing on the day. And, and if people don't know who he is, he's widely regarded as the greatest dribbler in football ever mm. um, and one of Brazil's greatest ever players yeah. um, and he was virtually man-marked out of the game and ineffective um, by by uh, by Mel Hopkins um, yeah keep doing, doing the family name favours um, and then that's that's what paved the way for, for Pele to get in and, and, and play play the way that he did um, but yeah, it's one of those things. I think you de you delved into this a little bit and had a look around um, some of the players in, in the Wales squad. And you know, what what did you find out? Yeah, well, interestingly, and I, I should caveat really by start the start this saying because there'll be you know perhaps a few of my friends who I do have done several England matches with um, both home and away that that Seb, you know, this is very much Seb's choice. This is definitely not my choice. But <laughs> Sorry. <it's>... <laughs> <laughs> You know, we are we are a fair institution here at marvellous effort that. So in the uh, you know, in the two thousand and twenty one diversity states I've I've been forced to put a Wales game in. But uh, you know, we can uh, we can get over that. But interestingly, you know, we've got Pele on the Brazilian side, but arguably and where 
you know, some of the areas that I found really interesting about this match was the man widely rated by lots as Britain's best ever player over George Best, over Bobby Charlton, over Kenny Dalglish is is John Charles, the the Welshman who, for some reason, is is often forgotten, certainly by our generation, despite being, you know, one of the first, I suppose, superstars to go and play overseas at Juventus, and he was a big big name at Leeds, but often cited as the most complete footballer that this country or certainly this island has has ever produced. And um, mm. everything that surrounded this game was was fascinating because, yes, it was the first, and, and I should add, only World Cup that, uh, that Wales have qualified for, but... That's so far. <laughs> but, um, but manager at the time, you know, we've, we've just had a really poignant weekend in the world of football with the remembrance of the Munich air disaster. Um, and for those that don't know, the, the Wales manager in this match was actually um, Jimmy Murphy, who was the assistant manager of Matt Busby. And following the Munich air disaster, Matt Busby... Um, wasn't able to manage the club and, and Jimmy took over as, as assistant and uh, I suppose interim um, manager and had the role of chief coach as it was known and um, you know under his tenure the, the Busby babes were, were able to develop and you know including players like the aforementioned Charlton and, and Duncan Edwards and this was a man that had such a pivotal role in, in the history of you know arguably well certainly one of the two most famous clubs or biggest clubs in in England mm. and here he was whilst being Wales I mean this would never happen today and this is why there's a bit of you know a bit of a quirky story here I suppose imagine a, a club manager then taking the summer off to take his nation out to a World Cup I mean wow. <laughs> it's unheard of but you know what an amazing achievement to actually to get through to the quarterfinals and yes it was highly unlikely that anyone would beat Brazil and in the end nobody did beat Brazil and we'll come to that in a bit but um you know, some really interesting parts of it. It's an interesting thing John Charles didn't actually play in this match. And I'm not really sure why. It might have been injury or um, I think it was the days yeah. of just one substitute. So um, it's it's difficult to tell. But um, just on the Jimmy Murphy story, anyone who's at a loose end on one of these uh, COVID evenings, I'd really recommend a, a BBC film. I think it was called, I think it was called Munich or United. And um, it's all about the, the air disaster. And um, Jimmy Murphy is actually played by uh, David Tennant. And it's a really good watch for anyone that's uh, sort of into their sporting dramas. I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend it. But, um, but yeah, Seb, I mean... No, I was going to say, no, for... you've not really helped anyone with that. It's, it's either called Munich or United. And I'm pretty sure there are films of the same name that have come out about like, disasters recently. So it's definitely the one about football you're, you're after. <laughs> Rather than the one about the Olympics with Eric Bannon. Yeah. And then and I'm, I'm imagining the United one would be about 9-11. But anyway... Well, look, probably, we're here, probably good watchers. You know, we're here at Marvellous Effort That, and I think all I need to say is, you know, go and find the films if you want to, and we can... Uh, <laughs> but, but in terms of, you know, what it means for for Wales, I suppose, as a nation or as a, as a football nation, you know, what, what are your takings from this particular match? And, you know, what, what did it mean for, for the nation perhaps at the time? Or, you know, how, how have you found kind of reflecting on it with members of your family and so on? I think this was one of those ones where in in the 50s and 60s is when real professionalism set in. And especially in Wales, you've you already mentioned um, John Charles playing for Leeds. And then obviously you've got Cliff Jones, Mel Hopkins playing for Spurs. If you were a, a really good side, these are all people that um, 
I know that, that Cliff and Mel played at Ustred Boys. Um, I think they were both probably on Swansea's books at the time. Um, if you were a really top, top player, you would cross the border, which is relatively unheard of in those days um, from those mining towns. Mm. Um, and to then head off to Sweden and, and be playing against uh, people like um, people like Pele, um, it just, I mean, obviously he was unknown of at the time, but just to look back at it, what, what an incredible moment for all of their lives. The only, the only way I can really draw parallels to this is if you think about Lions tours of, of those, um, yeah. of those times where you, you got on a boat and you sailed to the other side of the world and you were away for months at a time. This is how I imagine this would be for them. They went off for, you know, for a couple of months and it was, a uh, you know, and they came back heroes. They might not have won, but they did. They did so much better than anyone else would have expected. And then, unfortunately, we haven't backed it up for the uh, for the next sixty three years. So, um... <laughs> well, just before we get done with any fake news claims, I, I need to caveat that by saying this match actually took place in Gothenburg, so um, it probably saved them the four week boat journey. They tended to do the reverse Viking trip over to the uh, right, yeah. land of Sweden, but. Still not at home, though. <laughs> yeah, going to England was... <laughs> Devon Bridge was far enough, clearly. But Well, yeah, it is for most. <laughs> and um, and in terms of Pelé, I mean, I think we, you know, we in this country don't hear... Because one of the big things with Pelé is the fact, for me anyway, that he never played in Europe. And, mm. you know, not for a club in Europe. And we we get such a good gauge. I mean, imagine if somebody like Lionel Messi or, dare I say, Maradona had never played in Europe as well. You know, certainly for mm. me... Um, you know, Messi's up there with, you know, he'd been in most people's top fives, I'd imagine, or certainly top tens for, for best players that have ever played the game. And we mm. we sometimes don't get the impression of people if, you know, if we haven't come across them or um, haven't played against them. And, you know, there are matches, without giving too much away, with with the likes of, uh, you know, the Messi's and the Maradona's that we may touch upon later in this series that do involve mm. kind of nations that we have stories with. But, you know, with with Pele, I mean, the goal-scoring record, and I actually saw in Santos, you know, even to this day, the place is littered with murals and with memorabilia and all sorts. The man is, you know, he's more than, he's a religion in not just not just Santos, but in, in Brazil. And I think throughout mm. the world, we, you know, in this day and age, despite all the social media and massive coverage that people do get, we will do very, very well to, um, to actually come across, you know, a name like that with that talent that actually yeah. holds the, not just holds the keys, but actually can use the keys as well. Yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's a really interesting point you make. Sorry to completely digress from that, but it's it, it, you are right. It's funny because I suppose if you wanted my um, tuppence on it, is that because the social media age is so toxic, that's why they don't have people like him, and that's why people don't um, have that kind of respect for him. Certainly, the Brazilians are, are well known for idolizing their heroes, and um, not a not a barely a sport, but certainly not a sport we're going to touch on is a Formula One. Um, and you know they held Ayrton Senna to the to the same level, mm. um, and it's desperately sad that he passed. But before that, he was he was as big, man, maybe not as big as Pele. That's stretching it, but certainly a, a huge cult figure. Um, you you have Sachin in India. You know there there are players out there, but they're all of, of an age that completely precedes this this ludicrous toxicity that exists on, on online. Mm. Um, and maybe that that's going to be something that we we don't ever see again. Absolutely. Well, look, a very, very special game, um, if you're a Wales fan, and a great way to start today's show in terms of the, the top 10. 
for those that can't see, which is everyone, Seb's just giving me a bit of a shruggy look in the uh, in the Zoom call that we're currently on. But you know, you're kid, clown, you're kid. And as always, on marvelous effort, that we'll leave you in the words of some of his teammates and round off with the greatest player that's ever played. Pele is a special player. There'll never be another player like him. I've always said that he's like an alien, that he came from Saturn because he did incredible things. I now get to tell my children, my family, even my friends, that I had the extraordinary honour of playing with a guy I consider to be the greatest footballer of all time. He was the complete player. You can't say a man with 1,300 goals is a weakness. He has to be the best. Edson Arantes Donacimento. Pele. More than just a name, more than just a footballer. Fear not, Ireland fans. It's not all doom and gloom this week because it's time to join Pele and his Brazilian teammates as they board the boat at Gothenburg Harbour with the Jules Rimet Trophy firmly secured. As they make their way across the Atlantic on the journey back to South America, we deviate just slightly before as we head over to Kingston, Jamaica and look back on a very famous St Patrick's Day in 2007. He's hit that, but there's a man under it. It's steepling. He's got him. That's the end of the innings. Pakistan have been dismissed by Ireland for 132. On St. Patrick's Day, here at Sabina Park, the substitute takes the catch. He had a long time to wait for it, to think about it. But he held it safely. And now... The Irish feel that they do have an opportunity for the first real upset of the tournament. And if you haven't worked it out by now, we are, of course, talking about Ireland versus Pakistan, Group D of the ICC World Cup in 2007 in Jamaica. Now, Ireland's first World Cup appearance, it was a huge occasion for a nation that we don't really associate with, with cricket, certainly not at the time. Um, to this particular level, and to be playing in Jamaica, one of the most iconic stadia um, or grounds in, in world cricket um, at Sabina Park. You know, what an occasion to take on the 1992 champions in Pakistan. Lots of Irish support out present and off the back of a sensational win uh, in Zimbabwe for their opening game, featuring players such as Owen Morgan, Kevin O'Brien, Niall O'Brien, names that would become household um, for plenty of fans on both sides of the Irish Sea in the next 10 years to come. Uh, plus, you know, and a momentous occasion for um, quite a young cricket nation. And an amazing um, amazing name, first and foremost, Seb. Uh, Ireland versus Pakistan. Who would have thought that would be a fixture in uh, in the world of sport? Oh, uh, do you know, it's, cricket is one of those games where this is... the. Of the big nation, big sorry, of of the big sports, this is the only one where you would get such far fetched nations playing each other in in world tournaments. Um, you know, obviously everyone plays football, but you're never going to see, you know, you're not going to see 
Ireland, well, you might see Ireland against Brazil in, in a final, but um, apart from hockey, I can't think of a game. He's certainly not going to get Pakistan playing Ireland in football in, in a World Cup um, in, at any point in our lifetime. Um, and I just think it's, it's amazing for, for these guys. You've you got to remember as well, there are a few guys there, a, a few of the Ireland players who would have... Um, Tasted what it's like to play some some red ball cricket for for um, England Wales. Um, they snuck in through some sort of historic um, reasoning, I'm, I imagine. Um, but you know, f- for them, I, you know, Owen Morgan played um, you know a number of times for Ireland before he played for England, and then went back to Ireland, didn't he? So you know, he's very proud Irishman, and um, for him to be playing around those guys, and like you said, the the O'Briens, they they became big names in. In, in white ball cricket, didn't they? Um, yeah. I, it's just an, it's another one of these, like, I just look at this, not only do I remember the match, I just remember playing as Ireland in Brian Lara cricket um, <laughs> on the PlayStation. And um, you just you just decided to pick them because you knew that um, Morgan and O'Brien would always get you the runs. It didn't really matter what you did with the bowlers. <laughs> mm, absolutely. But, you know, the Pakistan side they were taking on as well, you know, bear in mind um, some of the players, just reading the list, Yunus Khan, Mohammed Yusuf, Inzam Amalhat, Shoaib Malik, Azam Mahmood, you know, Mohammed Sami, Umar Gul. That's not a poor side. There's lots of experience. There's so much talent. And as yeah. we know, Pakistan, you know, amongst probably on top of any nation, are that classic team that on their day, you know, they will absolutely destroy you. Yes, they can have some calamity days and some days that they'd probably rather forget. But, you know, to be coming up, you know, Ireland in their group, yes, Zimbabwe is, you know, they were in a funny period in the noughties and going in and out of international cricket for various other reasons. But to actually take on Pakistan in a World Cup group game, you know, St. Patrick's Day, all that comes with it, with the support that they had out there. And let's face it, one of the reasons I think we wanted to pick this was name me, and, and I don't care if I'm being biased here towards the cricket, You name me any better location that sport takes place in the world than the West oh, Indies. No, I mean, literally, the, the paddies would have been loving that. Imagine that, full of sauce out in the, in the midday sun. They'd have been fried like prawns. <laughs> Sponsored by Nivea. Yeah, most most definitely. But no, you're no, you're right. I mean, I think this is perhaps why um, being able to be a a, a fan and travel and and watch these games. What's so gutting about the last year and this year not being able to see live sport is because you can go to venues like this. Um, You know, it's one of those things where if you if you're lucky enough to to go out and and watch it, what what a place! Like you say, I mean. Imagine, well, I know well the Steph's family from um, from County Cork, right? That I mean, they, yeah, they barely see the sun, um, you know, let alone let alone going out to somewhere like Jamaica and and <laughs> and, being, and one of the most historic grounds. That, that I just think, what an occasion! And and again, like the Irish are proud. Everyone, everyone points to Paddy. Like everyone, everyone has Paddy's Day. It doesn't matter if you're Irish or not. Everyone celebrates Paddy's Day because it's just such a good crack. Um, it's an excuse to get on the beers and just have a really good time. And, you know, the Irish are really good, fun-loving people. They, you know, they genuinely are. Um, and much as I would love to claim that the Welsh are as, as patriotic about St David's Day, and they yeah, they are in, in Wales, but it's it's really hard outside of it. It's not really a thing unless you're in Wales. I mean, I get laughed at for some of the things I, I do for St David's Day here, whereas no one would bat an eyelid at anyone in the world saying oh it's, it's St Patrick's Day let's get on it um mm. it's 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 really part of global institution now 
Yeah, and they certainly did their fans proud, as you say. You know, if you get the chance to have a look at some of the scenes in the crowd, and oh yeah, I don't think people knew what was what was happening half the time. Not because they didn't understand the laws of the game, but just due to um, you know, some other activities. But you know, for the fact that Ireland have come now from this game, and I think it really set the scene because four years later we were seeing them unfortunately beating England um, out mm. in India, famous Kevin O'Brien hundred. But yeah. you know, for me, it's really important as as a sporting world that we have nations, particularly in, particularly in cricket. And we've talked a little bit earlier today about the, the sort of Italy conundrum. And I know Sam Warburton was sort of bringing up the point about Italy, you know, should there be a playoff with the Six Nations and standard? But it, it really needs to hit home with a lot of people that there are very few, particularly in rugby and cricket, you know, and test cricket, for example, there are very few nations that play the game to the very best standard. Mm. And really important that we expand the game. It was amazing to see, you know, Afghanistan playing in the, previous World Cup and I yeah. I went to the warm-up game against England at the Oval um, and what it meant to the you know their fans who are who are at the game you know after all that country's gone through now mm. same with you know on more sporting terms with somewhere like Ireland you know the fact that generally speaking yes you're guaranteed to watch them in the Six Nations every year and yes they're going to be in every Rugby World Cup and yes their players are going to be on Lions tours but you know what an amazing occasion and they flew out you know 18 months ago to play the West Indies in a normal ODI series mm. they're now out in UAE playing UAE and, you know, over time, let's hope, having had their first test match at Lords two years ago, let's hope that, you know, nations like Ireland are coming into the four for, you know, full series. And as you say, what an absolute privilege it is to be able to, you know, hopefully one day go, right, well, we're going to go to Australia. But, um, yeah, you've got uh, some thoughts. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I'm just going just gonna to pick up on, on what you said there about, you know, the opportunity for these players to, to, to get stuck in. It's exactly what I said about those um, the players from the fifties and sixties in in professional football. You, you have to go where where the money is and where the opportunities are, um, and that's just professionalism. Um, and a lot of these players, are, are, they have to play their cricket in in England because they just there isn't the standard elsewhere. And mm. therefore, if they can, like Owen Morgan, if he can go on and then play Test cricket for for England, he's probably not going to turn it down, is he? Um, no. So, you know, the, hopefully what, what this is going to really, really nail home for them is that they put themselves on the map, like you said, like Afghanistan. The more the more matches they play, the more series they're involved with, the more people are going to stay and actually want to play for their for their home country and, and not just, yeah. just go off for the, for the better opportunity. Big time. And I think, you know, with this match, we've spoken pretty much this whole time about everything surrounding the match, but not actually the game itself. And, you know, to give a quick run through, I mean, Ireland won the toss and, and, you know, I suppose in hindsight, you would say the classic good toss, a bit like England in, in Chennai at the moment, mm. good toss to win. And, you know, looking at the scorecard, I mean, for, for that Pakistan lineup to be bowled out for 132 in 45 overs, I mean, that takes some doing. And, you know, some amazing figures looking down the list with Lanford Smith, one for 31, Boyd Rankin, you know, who went on to do uh, some other things, three for 32. Amazing from Andre Berta, two for five off his eight overs. Yeah. And to roll the Pakistanis for 132. Um, and then actually chase it. You know, it wasn't an easy chase because uh, up until a point, Mohamed Sami was finding a bit of movement with the ball. And um, as Pakistan will always do, they'll come back hard, um, yeah. hard and fast, oh, as they yeah. often uh, often will. And without Niall O'Brien, with his brother Kevin kind of anchoring um, the entire island innings, you know, they snuck home with, yes, 32 balls to go because there was, I think, a, a delay for Duckworth Lewis or a reduced overs for mm. Duckworth Lewis. But um, sneaking home with uh, seven wickets down um, did did prove actually it was 
you know, not just the fact that Ireland beaten Pakistan, but what an absolute thriller to do it in as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, 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 I'm really glad that this was a, a, not only for everything else we've spoken about. I'm really glad that we've picked a game that was um, that was also decided by Duckworth Lewis, where they uh, <laughs> took the contents of a toolbox, divided it by a spanner, and <laughs> guessed. Because anyone else who can be bothered to look at the scorecard can see that Pakistan scored 132 from 45 overs, nearly nearly 46 overs, and. Mm. Um, Ireland have been set less time and knocked it off with five overs to spare anyway. So I'm not entirely sure what how much was lost. But um, as you say, it's, it's one of those those peculiarities of cricket, isn't it, Duckworth Lewis? Oh, I mean, the list goes on and on. But um, I mean, it was a peculiar tournament, to be honest. Mm. Let's not forget a couple of miles down the road or maybe a couple of hundred miles down the road or the sea in uh, St. Lucia. Flintoff was enjoying himself on his sea expedition. Yeah. You know, it's been a while since... Uh, a member of the British nation had been <laughs> marauding around on the seas. So <laughs> decided it was time for him to uh, to hold the mantle. But you know what an amazing, uh, amazing achievement for Ireland. And and I think you know one other thing with with this match is it was a pleasure to actually listen to um, the likes of Tony Cozier and Michael Holding, mm. you know, uh, Ramiz Raja. Some of the real, um, particularly with Tony Cozier. You know, we speak about some of the legends of um, of sport, and it's not always just the players and the fans. It's it is the commentators as well. Um, for those that don't know Tony, um, sadly, you know, the late Tony Cozier now, but, um, you know, he was the voice of West Indies cricket and the soundtrack to many of our summers, you know, he would come over to England when the West Indies were playing here um, and, and arguably, you know, pound for pound uh, as a nation, uh, West Indies cricket, you know, have been one of the best sports teams in any sport of all time. Um, but we won't sort of move into that, but, you know, to have him commentating on to, um, Island Pakistan, you know what a privilege to listen to that, and uh, and what a great occasion. But any any closing thoughts on this one before we uh, before we wrap things up? I completely agree. With you. You've, you've spoken about the commentary, and I think that's something we'll we'll wax lyrical about um, in in other shows, definitely. Um, mm. um, and like you said, what what a lineup that is! Um, just fantastic to to hear those people. Um, but no, I, I think again, just reiterating the point about watching a game like this in a place like that with these two teams, mm. it, it doesn't get much better. No. And it's what, it's what 50 over cricket's all about. It's what cricket world cup cricket is all about. So we've waxed lyrical about them and we've built them up. So let's leave you with the amazing words of Tony Cozier, Michael Holding and Ramiz Raja. There's a single if he hits it. Oh, got in. Scores level. Tied at the moment. They're there, Ireland. They're definitely home. hit the winning run. A slow delivery from Azam Amoud and it has sailed out of the ground. A big one. Historic pictures. Ireland have beaten Pakistan and beaten them out of this World Cup. Great joy for the supporters. They were there today backing them on St. Patrick's Day and what a win. 
stunning performance, sterling performance from their captain and team. Really was a, a magnificent team effort, first with the ball, then with the bat. They weathered the pressure, weathered the storm manfully. Now it's time to leave the lush islands of the Caribbean and head over to one of planet Earth's other famous tropical climates. I am, of course, speaking about the South Downs as we move into a Rugby World Cup clash like no other. We are jam-packed with 30,666 spectators at the Brighton Community Stadium. The action kicks off for both South Africa and Japan, and both teams will want to get off to a winning start. It is, of course, a very famous afternoon at the, shall we say, second home of football? We'll say second home of football. Um, spiritual versus, home. Sorry? Spiritual home. <laughs> the spiritual home, we'll take that. It is, of course, Japan versus South Africa. 2015 Rugby World Cup at the Amex Stadium. And what an occasion it was, Seb. Unbelievable. This, uh, well, selfishly, um, one of my favourite matches because it um, takes away the infamy of Wales having had the previous biggest shock defeat in a World Cup. Um, <laughs> but this, this, certainly, um, this certainly was a, was a huge shock. Um, so it's South Africa's first ever loss to a Tier 2 nation. Um, that that's the magnitude of it, and and also, you know this as well as everyone else. Really, you expect um, the three the, the three big fish from the southern hemisphere to be making up the semi-finals with the the the, the best hitter from the northern hemisphere, whoever yeah. that seems to be from from that year. So for them to be having their pants pulled down um, in the pool stages by a, a, a relatively unknown. Um, yeah. What a shock! And and also, what a massive. The Brits love an underdog, don't they? Everyone really, everyone loves to see um, the the underdog do well, and and also everyone loves to wind up the South Africans because they're um, you know notoriously difficult people, lovely people, but difficult people. Um, mm. I caveat that I did spend my gap year there, so you know, I don't completely hate them. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for clearing that one up, but. I just think, um, yeah, just a, another little aside on this one before we start getting into the nitty gritty. Um, I, one of the big things for this game for me was that um, I was on holiday in Spain with a group of friends, mm. and we had the return flight sorted for this. Um, I believe this was a Saturday, um, and I saw the time of the flight was um, seven um, from Alicante, and I was thinking, well, that's that's great because we'll we'll land in Gatwick. At, Close to ten, eleven. I could be in Plumpton by midday, then get down for the kickoff direct on the train. Perfect, all sorted, tickets ready, everything was great. Turns out the flight was seven o'clock in the evening, um, so <laughs> so uh, yeah, had had yeah. to give them up. Um, but uh, anyway, look, uh, it's one of those ones. I think if I'd been there, it probably wouldn't have been the same outcome. You know, one, one of those things in life, it's fate, isn't it? Yeah. But um, <laughs> but I. I one of the big things for this as well is this is really not only did it put Japan on the map, um, it really actually, if I'm being brutally honest, and I'll probably get shot down by people here, it put Eddie Jones on the map as a coach because 
he had been involved in some big sides and he had he has had a good career previous to this. But just one for the statos out there. People will remember him as coach of Australia and he had a 58% win record for Australia, which isn't very good given the team that he was coaching at the time. The, yeah. Uh, people like Stephen Larkham, George Gregan, like, like legends of the game, Owen Finnegan. People remember the, you know, those guys. Um, and for them not to really, I think he only won one Tri-Nations tournament with, with, with the side that he coached. Um, really not a good return. And I think if you were an Aussie fan, you'd probably be saying, yeah, no, he's actually not that great. But what he did with Japan, absolutely phenomenal. I, I should I should just add there, for anyone that does wish to uh, shoot Seb down about his comments, um, please email marvelouseffort@hotmail.com at hotmail.com or feel free to get in touch at marvelouseffortpod on uh, on Instagram. Uh, yeah, Om will reply to you because I'm no, never wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will go to the game. I like to talk about what actually happened in that game. But for me, like looking back now, that's really what he get to England. Um, and you know, his win record the week, um, and you know, that's what it should be. Uh, yeah, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm going to upset everyone here with this comment, but. England should win every tournament they enter with the the riches um, of 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 players that they the depth they have um, the amount of people who play rugby in this country and compared to everyone else in the world the the amount of money the RFU have the facilities they have compared compared to everyone else in the world um, and I think he I think that's probably what he did when he got in and became coach actually just grabbed him by the short and curlies and said look what are you doing win do something. This is this is a squad that should be winning every year, and I think he got them a bit more ruthless. Um, but anyway, that we'll move on to that. I think in, in some some later matches. But what what was it about this match that you know what what happened with South Africa? Because you know, bearing in mind they you know they're a two time champion, they are a, an absolute powerhouse, not just in rugby union, but in in sport in general. And you know, yes, you can take things like it was at a you know, a small stadium. And yes, you know, most of the neutrals were probably supporting Japan. And yes, the Japanese had lots of support there. And we talked about atmospheres, you know, during the COVID points. But what was it really about about South Africa in particular that kind of, you know, would this have happened to the Kiwis, for example? Would this have happened to Australia? It could have happened to anyone. Um, yeah. I think uh, sometimes you get the rub of the green. Um, really, you can't answer. You can, it's unfair um, and it wouldn't be right for anyone to say that the players didn't give it their all and they were too arrogant um, or they were underprepared because they're professionals. It's just, you know, it's not the right thing to say. Mm. Um, I just, sometimes you, you, you mentally think it's going to be a little bit easier than it is maybe. You think you're in control. I mean, they outscored them four tries to three. Um, so, something to note is... The, the side they named is the most experienced test side in history at that point. <laughs> had 851 caps between them. Wow. Um, I just think sometimes it isn't your day. Um, and we talk about it a lot in football. And, and you know, you, you get that day where... Um, you get the days where you, you've got, I don't know... You, you turn up at Crystal Palace and they have Manuel Lawyer in, in goal and you pepper him and you only score one and draw. Um, and and this, it doesn't happen as often in rugby, but possibly what's happened here is they've gone to a very neutral, small 
a hostile stadium mm. and some of these bigger name players might not be used to that. Um, I think you, you don't want to take too much though away from the Japanese and actually what they did. I think really what kept them in the game, they were absolutely outplayed in all the stats. If you can be bothered to ever look at the stats, they were completely outplayed in every facet of the game other than the penalty count. Um, and and the, the penalty count really is what, what killed them, um, the South Africans, because they just gave them away in the wrong places. And international rugby, it doesn't matter which nation you're playing for, you're going to have a fly half who can actually hit, hit the ball over the goal. That's what they're there for. They'll mm. practice. They might not They might not be your Johnny Wilkinson or your Dan Carter who, who gets, you know, 95%, but they'll, they'll get enough if you give them enough opportunities. Um, and I think that's really what happened in this game is that suddenly the game caught up with them. Um, and they was it was way too close for comfort. And then coming into the last play of the game, all the Japanese had to do was keep the ball live and and score seven. And and that was even if they'd drawn, I think it would it would have been just as famous. People would have loved it. Um, yeah, it was just poetic that um, that he he nerdled it over. For sure, but let's not forget that I've you know I've had a sort of look and, and <laughs> albeit a while back, Japan finished top of their group. In the pool, yeah, you know, they they'd yeah, come yeah. ahead of Ireland, they'd come ahead of Scotland and Samoa. You know, they'd had a good record in the groups, and you know, South Africa had actually been, I mean, albeit they had New Zealand in theirs, who you know, arguably mm. would always finish top. But you know, it they'd done the hard work before, and I think this is why we love World Cups in general. You know, it's not just we spoke about Argentina's game against the All Blacks last week, and I think when you compare this, you know, the fact that this is in a major tournament, France, you know, France Senegal was one of the first I ever remember. Um, mm. as a child watching the football, you know, in, in Japan and, uh, oh, in Japan, that was of all places. But, <laughs> um, you know, to have these games, I think that's, you know, that's part of the World Cup. It's not, yeah. it's not just those regulation sort of tour matches or autumn international games or, or whatever. I think, you know, something about the World Cup creates these things and it's nice to have it on, on the large stage because I, I don't think they necessarily, and this is a, not, not to bring any negativity necessarily into this section, but, for me, they didn't really nail some of the venues with that tournament. And yes, it helped that this game was an upset and a bit of a classic because it was a late winner for Japan and, and all, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I remember watching the England match. I think it was against Australia at, um, at the Etihad. And it kind of felt, well, you know, why are you trying to push Rugby Union in, in the middle of Manchester? There are some places where, yes, you can try and grow the game or maybe it's just because it's a big stadium and it gives people who live in the area a chance to come and watch. But... Mm. You know, the fact that they had... Because we don't have any professional rugby in, in Sussex. Mm. You know, that's a huge thing. There's no professional rugby in Kent or Hampshire either. So for the surrounding population, it's a, it's a great place to go down to. And um, a real, you know, a real touch from the from the organisers to pick out pick out the Amex as well. And I think, you know, not only was it a classic game, but it really did... Um, it seemed like a really fitting venue. And I think, you know, there's so many people that were travelling from all over the place to come down um, and get involved. Yeah. For, for this sort of thing. Well, I'm I'm glad that you thought it was um you know it was it was a good venue and, and a good tournament because I'm I was sure that you would be crying yourself to sleep over the state of the turf after they played <laughs> rugby on it. Um a classic football whinging. Um told you you keep. Um <laughs> bit bit of housekeeping as well. I'm pretty sure the game at the Etihad um was against Uruguay. I think that was the dead rubber. I would I wouldn't have thought they'd play the Australia match outside of Twickenham. I'm not sure. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it, it was the dead rubber that was up there. Um, to be honest, it, it wouldn't be marvellous effort that without some rogue shouts that we've just sort of got off the grapevine. Yeah, it's just, yeah, just, you know, just, just 
say something. <laughs> but um, no, but honestly, the, the game though, these are the games. It's the knockout tournaments are where you really it's 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 go for broke, isn't it? Especially yeah. for for the for the minnows, if you want to call them as a horrible thing to say, but you know what it is. Um, they want to be there and they want to put their hands up and be counted. And they really did. Um, and they did it again in 2019. It really just paved the way for them now, hopefully, um, to be, maybe to be a force is a bit, un, you know, maybe a bit, bit of a stretch right now. But you look at the side they put out there and and the number of, um, shall we say, uh, residential caps, um, you know, you understand why teams like Japan have that, um, but hopefully now you know, there's a lot of professional rugby being played in Japan now. So, you know, the reality is there is a big, big chance for them to start actually getting getting further in the tournaments, not just a bit of home advantage from from the the World Cup in 2019. I think that they should hopefully they'll kick on from this, and it will just add a little bit more spice into into the action for for future tournaments. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But um, yeah, it'll be a really interesting journey to uh, to follow the, the Japanese and see, you know, where they get, as you say, in future tournaments. A bit like Argentina, you know, two definite teams to watch for the future. Um, now, I should mention before uh, management get in touch with me that my my stats feed is absolutely useless because I've actually been quoting you figures from the 2019 World Cup. I, I know. I was actually I was going to leave that because I wanted to just bring it up with you next week. But yeah, I did. I, I did as soon as you named the teams and that they topped the group, I was like. Yeah, that, that didn't happen, but sure, just well, let him go. Strictly speaking, that's not my fault. That's uh, ESPN's fault, but we can take that with uh, with that's management. Poor, and, uh, and poor, poor preparation, I think. You know, don't worry. We'll be talking about we'll be talking about their game they played in the Gabba next week. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But uh, look, what an absolutely amazing game um, to to end the rugby section on, and to end all the uh, sporting section this week. And we'll leave you with um, the final few minutes from an absolutely unbelievable game. Um, as we go with Carney Hesketh into the final couple of minutes. Save the try. Patakawa. Murphy. Here we go. Hesketh. Carney Hesketh. To steal the game for Japan. One of the most famous victories in the history of sport, I'd go as far as saying, not just in the game of rugby union. Goromaru then. It's all academic. Our eyes have seen the glory. It's a rugby miracle. An incredible, incredible afternoon in Sussex by the sea. Now, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left now. Um, time to run through the preview for the week ahead. Um, big week of FA Cup action, um, certainly with the Albion going away to Leicester. But um, any thoughts on uh, any of the cup games or uh, anything else to come? Um, oh, Spurs Everton, isn't it? Um, so, chance for us to get that cup run going again, already in one final. So, let's hope we can we can go back to back. It'll be good to see um, the Albion turn over Leicester. Um, just because they're perennial over overachievers, um, <laughs> no one likes to see them win everything again. Um, they've, they've done that; they've got their bit of history. Let someone else have some. Um, I think the, the big one is no one wants to see Gary Lineker and his underwear on TV again. Well, it's not just that, is it? No, no one wants to see that turncoat. You know, when Spurs are doing well, he's a Spurs legend. When Leicester win, he's a Leicester legend. 
absolute idiot. Um, <laughs> Very good. Yes. Well, uh, <clears throat> and then uh, by the time this goes out tomorrow, the the test match will be done and dusted. But what are your what are your thoughts? And it's back to back. So, uh, what are you reckoning for for the next test? <laughs> Even though we don't really know what's going on with this one. Right, so this one I think we will win. Um, I think we, you know, to get that one wicket today was that sets you off, doesn't it? You're you're already one down. If you go with ten into the day, you're you, you're feeling good about it. But one down, I think it's it, it's going to be a pitch where Joffrey's going to going to get some get some. Um, I think he, he's going to pick some wickets up. Um, God, crikey! I wish I could speak English properly, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think we'll we'll come away with a victory with that, and then my prediction for the next game is a draw. I think the um, the Indians will probably win the toss, and someone will get their eye in and bat for three days, and then Root will get another double ton so that I can get my packet of peanuts. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going, I'm going win win tomorrow, draw in the second test. Excellent. And and speaking of predictions, I, I I'd like to actually personally apologise to to anybody that followed my uh, Six Nations preview where all three of my predictions for the opening round didn't come in. Um, you know, if you're looking to do any lottery numbers this week, then feel free to have a look at my ticket and pick all the other numbers that I haven't picked. Um, <laughs> but look, a good chance for, for sort of points to be gained where they were lost or, or not won at the weekend with England uh, up against Italy. And uh, I suppose the winners clash next week with Scotland, Wales, and then um, Ireland taking on France. So how do you see those ones going? Um I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was um, it was either Johnny Sexton or Andy Farrell who was quoted as saying, "Everyone knows the tournament's not won on the first weekend." Which I would probably fifty five forty five agree with him. Um, I think momentum's key, as I said last week. Um, in their game, I think they're going to struggle. Um, they won't have Peter Romani. He'll um, we'll hear how his band goes this week, but I think he'll be out for the rest of the tournament um, with that. Uh, they still don't have Caelan Doris in the back row, um, so we'll see. Um, hopefully, Johnny Sexton comes back from his um, his his head injury assessment um, with flying colours. Um, but I still see France winning that um, comfortably. Um, the Scotland Wales game, look, both teams played well. Um, whatever you want to say, uh, you know, we we tried our hardest to lose against Italy, but didn't. Um, Scotland, the big question for them is can they back it up or, you know, are they going to be like um, certain England teams of old where they go and play, play a big game and then a week after they can't follow it up? So you just don't know whether if they can do it back to back, then yeah, you'd, you'd say them probably. I think Scotland will either win it comfortably or Wales will win by seven or eight. That would be my, my prediction. Okay. Um, and ho- hopefully it'll be Wales. And then, I mean, yeah, I think point to prove with England, I, would, I wouldn't want to be Italy because they were dreadful. Um, on Saturday, dreadful. Um, and whilst England weren't very good either, um, they should steamroll them. And with a point to prove, I think they'll probably put a good, good 30 or 40 points in them. Excellent. Well, you know, given there weren't many points up for grabs this week in uh, in Cots Quiz with the uh, with the Kevin Phillips, I've gone for a World Cup special. You'll be pleased to hear, Seb. And uh, again, the prize will stay the same, a packet of unnamed jalapeno pretzels until somebody answers on the correct channel and gets it right. Pretzels will be staying firmly in the uh, the top drawer. So for the World Cup question, sorry, the World Cup special for Cots Quiz this week, um, the football question. We've got a football, cricket, and a rugby question set to mm-hmm. keep everybody happy. Now, in the football, I'd like to know who in the World Cup has played the most minutes. Who in the World Cup has played the most minutes? And I'll give you, I'll give you two clues for this one. 
because it's not the ball. It can be uh, it can be reasonably tricky. Um, this person was active during the 1990s and the noughties, and his nickname is similar to a rank you might find in the armed forces. Played in the 90s and the noughties, and his nickname is similar to a name you might find of a rank in the armed forces. On the cricket front, which bowler has taken the most wickets in the Cricket World Cup? Which bowler has taken the most wickets in the Cricket World Cup? And a little clue for you here, think of Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar Square, London, that is. And finally, for the rugby question in Cots Quiz, which two players, which two players hold the record for the most appearances at the Rugby World Cup? Which two players hold the record for the most appearances at the Rugby World Cup? And my clue for this one is one comes from the north and one comes from the south. And we're talking hemispheres in case uh, in case anyone doesn't know. So that's all we've got time for for Cox Quiz this week. Make sure to be in touch with us next week where we go through another Rugby World Cup classic involving Japan, a thrilling Champions League final in Spain and a Cricket World Cup thriller in England. I've been on Kakots. He's been said Pro Broster. See ya. And we've been marvellous at that. Thank you so much for joining us again, and we'll see you very soon. An incredible effort there from England in Japan. Now, England would, of course, go on to lose the final to South Africa. And speaking of the Rainbow Nation, we now head back to England 20 years prior to when two giants of the world of rugby took each other on in cricket's biggest white ball comp. An unforgettable finish there in Birmingham. Now, apart from playing host to this incredible match, Edgbaston was, of course, for many years, the home of the King of Spain, Mr Ashley Giles. And sticking with the Spanish theme, it's time to head over to one of football's most iconic grounds for one of Europe's most famous finals. A moment of true brilliance from, uh, from the great Gaza. Now, it's time to get into our cars and leave Wembley as we head down the M4 and over the Severn Bridge, past the glamorous city of, uh, of Newport uh, and into Cardiff for one of the all-time great moments in rugby history. Ladies and gentlemen, Lord Ian Botham. <laughs>